This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. A civil court in the Netherlands recently issued a landmark ruling against one of the world's largest fossil fuel companies, ordering Royal Dutch Shell to cut its emissions by 45% from 2019 levels. The Hague court, whose decision could have far-reaching implications, ruled that the British-Dutch multinational corporation is responsible for the emissions that its products create, and therefore must comply with the requirements of the Paris Accord. The case was brought by the Dutch chapter of Friends of the Earth and could be replicated in other nations and with other major oil and gas corporations as part of the ongoing battle against climate change. We turn now to Antonia Juhas, a leading energy analyst, author, and investigative journalist. She is currently a Bertha Fellow in investigative journalism and an award-winning writer who's contributed to outlets like Newsweek, Rolling Stone, Harper's Magazine, The Atlantic, CNN.com, The Nation, and more. She's written several books, including The Tyranny of Oil, The World's Most Powerful Industry, and What We Must Do to Stop It, and Black Tide, The Devastating impact of the Gulf oil spill. Her latest article in Rolling Stone is entitled, A Court Ruled Shell is Liable for Its Contributions to Climate Change. What Happens Now? Welcome to the program, Antonia. Thank you so much for having me, Sonali. Great to be with you. So first, let's start with what is the significance of this ruling. Is this the first time that a private corporation has been held uh, accountable to the standards set by the Paris Accord? Yeah, it's just a a landmark historic ruling. So the Dutch court ruled that Shell is liable for its contributions to climate change, and it must change its operations as a result. And as you've said, um, governments have been held to account on this standard by courts before, including the Supreme, uh, the Dutch court's Supreme Court. But this is the first time that a company has been held to the same standard. And so the court said that Shell also has an obligation to um, to essentially stop climate change because climate change creates um, a devastating harm that harms guaranteed uh, protected human rights. And in order to avert those harms to the climate and the basic and basic guaranteed human rights, Shell has to revert its contribution to climate change and cut its emissions by 45% in nine years. Of course, Shell responded with great disappointment and then proceeded to point out all of the ways in which it was doing these amazing, great things to further the cause of climate justice and to address climate change. And if you read the Shell response, um, it certainly sounds uh, very, very noble. How do you assess uh, Shell's response to this ruling? Well, the court actually uh, really has a very strong retort and very careful retort to Shell's responses. Um, it didn't, Shell didn't come up with anything new in its response to the ruling. It reiterated claims that it had already made during the case, which the court had already shot down. So um, what, what Shell said is that they're already planning to get to net zero by 2050. And what the court said was its plan is too um, unspecific it is too, um, it takes too long to get there. And it's too difficult to uh, account for the net zero obligation that Shell is putting forward. Basically, it was insufficient on every count. And so the court said, we're going to give you a specific cut 
a specific timeline in which to achieve it. And we're going to tell you, in some cases, this is some of the most important parts of the case, everything that you need to account for when you determine that 45% cut. So what the court said was that Shell has to account when it looks at all of its emissions for the emissions that the company releases when it produces its products, for the emissions that are released when its suppliers provide its products, and also when its consumers burn its product. So that's a full accounting in climate parlance that scope one, two, and three, Hmm. basically a life cycle approach to when you uh, dig the product out of the ground, when you transport it through a a pipeline or on a ship, when you turn it into a petrochemical, when you store it in a field, and when your consumer uses it in a car, in an airplane, in a truck, all of those emissions, Shell has to account for all of them everywhere in the world, all of its subsidiaries, and reduce them by 45%. And the court also said, You know, we're not going to tell Shell how to do that, but it's pretty clear that it will probably have to keep uh, certain fossil fuels. It won't be able to extract. It's going to need to pull back um, and essentially keep some of its fossil fuels in the ground. And that um, those involved in the case said, you know, basically looking at Shell's footprint everywhere, it's almost impossible to imagine that Shell can cut its emissions at that speed and and at that scale and in that scope without it impacting its operations everywhere, including the United States. Wow. So this sort of full accounting that the court is requiring Shell to do is a kind of accounting that climate justice activists have often um, put on these companies. You know, as you said, that it takes a lot of energy to extract, energy to transport, and then, of course, the burning itself on the other end that these companies do have to be responsible for. I imagine that ExxonMobil, Chevron, and all of these other companies are watching in trepidation with what the Dutch court has ruled. How could... Friends of the Earth or other climate justice organizations replicate this victory in other courts, in other nations, and for other companies, because it's not just Shell, obviously. Well, and again, this is where the the, the judgment by the court is so important and so sweeping, um, because the court also said other companies are also going to be need to held are going to need to be held to account. So, so Shell has an individual responsibility to address its own operations, which is what the court said. But it also said, you know, basically this is going to need to include other companies, and that's really important. And even before campaigners start to do anything, the message that the court has said to investors to shareholders, to banks, uh, to others in the, to executives at, at oil companies is your company is going to be held individually liable for its contribution to climate change. If you don't want that to happen to you, you need to pull out of the inv- these investments, uh, stop backing um, uh, fossil fuel companies, or really change the activities of your own company. So I think even before any individual campaigner does anything, and they are planning to do a lot of things, that message has already gone out. And even if Shell appeals, which they said they intend to do, um, it's important to point out that it is the Dutch system 
that had the other, the Urinda case, which was the um, other precedent setting case that held the Dutch government liable to ensure that it cuts emissions to uphold, um, to avert the worst of the climate crisis. That case was also in a Dutch court. It also went to the Dutch Supreme Court where the Dutch Supreme Court upheld the lower court's ruling. So this is also a Dutch court. This is a district court. If Shell appeals, it has two opportunities to appeal. It's still going to appeal within that same system. So I think um, given the way that the court drafted its findings, I would honestly be surprised if Shell won its appeals. Um, but in any case, if we're looking at, you know, what next for the, the campaigners and others uh, who pushed this case, they're already planning other lawsuits against other companies. And activists in the United States have said that while there isn't um, a precedent that's legally set through the Dutch court to US courts, the finding can definitely reverberate through the lawsuits that are already underway in the United States that are um, trying to make the case that oil companies are responsible for their contribution to climate change. That's essentially the basis of all of the cases that are floating through US courts right now. And this certainly provides evidence that another court, a very significant court, finds that not only to be true, but that companies have to change their own practices as a result, because most of the US cases are essentially asking for damages. Um, oil companies uh, have harmed the climate. We, the governments who are um, the people bringing most of these cases, have had to pay lots of costs as a result of these damages. And therefore, you, the oil company, needs to pay us back. Mm. This goes even further. And it says the company itself has to change its activities. So that certainly provides at least a basis of argumentation, if not a precedent, that those companies have a responsibility and therefore also potentially a liability to all of those local communities, state governments, national governments that have had to bear such a strong cost for climate change. And of course, also those local communities. So I interviewed um, Janet Redman with uh, Greenpeace US, and she said, you know, she wants to look at reparations. What about local black, indigenous, people of color communities across the United States that have borne the brunt of fossil fuels in the climate crisis? Maybe oil companies owe them uh, reparations as well. So it's, it just seems to me also that the Dutch court ruling is the kind of ruling that is considered anathema here in the United States, where we have made private corporations and their right to a profit supreme over the right of human beings to you know have clean water, hair, uh, air, and and health, um, and and that it you know maybe in European nations uh, at least there's still some semblance of uh, upholding human rights over corporate profits. Here in the U.S., we just um, have relegated the so-called free market to solve you know, the major problems of humanity, when of course it has ended up creating the major problems of humanity. Uh, there's also the, 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 the one court uh, case that is still, I believe, in process, which is a number of young people around the country saying that uh, fossil fuel companies are violating the constitutional rights as our uh, climate um, trust, I believe, our children's trust, I believe, uh, which is one of many, many lawsuits wending their way through courts. I don't know if you have any thoughts on on There's, how this could happen in the U.S. There's thousands of cases still active mm -hmm. in the United States right now. So um, 
you know, I think, but we also have a very conservative judiciary thanks to Trump. Well, we do, but I don't think it's, I think it's way, I think it's premature to give up on, on this legal process. So I think that, you know, no, the United States doesn't have, for example, a constitutional provision that guarantee fundamental human rights like the Dutch system has. Um, we don't have um, provisions that other countries have, for example, with rights to nature. Uh, you know, but, but that, the precedent in other countries contributes to a, um, a, a basis of understanding and sort of what is the pre-existing um, understanding of those who, in, who are involved in these, um, deciding these, these issues, what is the basis of understanding on which law needs to be decided? So what the Dutch court said was by signing the Paris Climate Accord, governments around the world have committed themselves to this, uh, to the 1.5 degrees Celsius warming, lim limiting warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And that that is a standard now that needs to be upheld through law, that we've created a, um, a global commitment that needs to be upheld. And again, it's not the same legal system here in the United States, but every time a decision is made that upholds an international norm, it helps those who are arguing these cases in the United States to explain that this is the norm, the reality of climate change is the norm, that um, the climate needs to be held to 1.5 degrees Celsius is the norm. And now that individual oil companies have a responsibility to do that is also the norm. And that's also gonna help even if it doesn't, well, we'll see where it goes on the climate cases, but also the case is going to be made to policymakers in the United States. Joe Biden has said you know, that he has a firm commitment to the Paris Climate Accord. Well, now this court says, if you have a firm commitment to the Paris Climate Accord, that means you're also gonna hold uh, individual companies to account. And as you had started to ask about Exxon and Chevron, so these are two companies that have really um, strongly resisted this full accounting model uh, that, that they need to account for all of their emissions. And at the same time that the court in the Dutch court was bringing down its ruling on Shell, Chevron's shareholders pushed through a resolution against the management's wishes, saying the same thing to Chevron. You have to reduce the emissions of all, all of your all of your emissions, including the emissions released when people use your product. So Chevron's shareholders made it do that. And over at Exxon, uh, there was a, a activist push to, again, going very much against the wishes of the of Exxon's management to get two uh, member, two people named onto the board, voted onto the board, who have as their clear mandate pushing the company to be more aggressive and change its uh, practices to address for climate change. Antonia, uh, where can people find out more about the work that you do? My Rolling Stone article, which uh, just came out, and all of my other articles are on my website. It's my name, antoniauhas.net, and hopefully you can see my name uh, at the bottom of the screen. Antonia, J-U-H-A-S-Z.net for our radio audience. You can also always check out risingupwithsonali.com for a link. Antonia, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Sonali.
My guest has been Antonia Juhas. She is a leading energy analyst, author, and investigative journalist, and currently a Bertha Fellow in investigative journalism. She's written numerous books, and her latest article in Rolling Stone is called A Court-Ruled Shell is Liable for Its Contributions to Climate Change. What Happens Now? I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. Again, our website is risingupwithsonali.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter. Also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.